So each evening at 7.45, I'll give a Dharma talk. Dharma talk is food for thought. When I thought about this talk, uh, I thought I would try to speak to two questions, uh, why and what. Uh, We can start with why. And the question is, why are we here? What's our purpose? Uh, This is a very important question for us to ask, and at least to ask, but also, of course, to begin to understand and to develop uh, uh, a sense of why we're here, a sense of purpose, a sense of purpose. The technical term in Buddhism would be right view. uh, That's supported by right resolve. So as Dharma students, the purpose of a Dharma student Uh, The purpose for a Dharma student in following the Buddha's path is uh, true happiness. This is why we practice the Dharma. This is why we come on a retreat. This is why we're here uh, for true happiness. Uh, This was the Buddha's uh, purpose. He set out to find true happiness. Uh, And in following his path, uh, we do what he did in the service of finding true happiness, knowing true happiness. So the Buddha knew a certain kind of happiness as a prince, as a young man, the happiness that we sometimes refer to as the happiness of the world, the happiness of the various sense pleasures of material gain and having possessions, status, notoriety, and praise. And he had a sense, an inkling, that there was a greater happiness than that happiness. He didn't really quite know. He obviously knew something in the heart. Something in his heart uh, indicated to him that there was a greater happiness, and he gave up everything uh, to be able to see if he could find that, that happiness, and, and he found that happiness. So uh, his, his resolve and his effort was profound, uh, and he found true happiness. I mean, one thing that we have is that you know he paved a way, he gave us a path, and uh, we can at least take it on faith Uh, that there is a true happiness. Uh, We have to come to know that for ourselves. When we really start to to practice in that effort, we come to know that, and our conviction uh, develops to the point where we have the the, uh, inclination to make the kind of effort that the Buddha made. And, you know, just in being here, uh, it would indicate to me that for each of us, Uh, we're on that path that we're making that kind of effort in being here. So we're here for true happiness. This is why we're here. We're here for true happiness for ourselves. Uh, We're here for true happiness for the other yogis who are here. We're here for true happiness for all beings. This is why we're here as Dharma students. So this is a sense of purpose that again is offered as food for thought. Uh, When we talk about true Happiness, it's, it's, a non-differenti- it's non-differentiated. Uh, there isn't true happiness for me and not true happiness for you. If I live and act and, and I'm in the world in a way in which I uh, seek to help others find true happiness, that brings me true happiness. You know? uh, we talked last night about how uh, true happiness is found through an act of love. Uh, and love for ourselves, love for others, love for all beings. So in many ways, uh, 
that action uh, can be really distilled down to the action that we take in the service of giving, generosity, and practicing non-harming. So uh, we seek in being here, in following through on the why that we're here, we're here for true happiness, we seek to stay in tune with that sense of purpose. This is right view. We hold to right view. I'm here for true happiness. When we struggle in Dharma practice, in life, what usually happens is we lose sight of our sense of purpose. What I would submit to you is that, you know, it's a little bit of the chicken or the egg, but oftentimes uh, we lose sight of our sense of purpose and that's why we struggle. That's why we struggle. But either way, when we struggle, when we have difficulty, we tend to lose sight of our sense of purpose. And the way that we find our way, the way that we come out of our struggle is attuned to our purpose, is to remember our purpose and to re resolve to act in the service of our purpose, which is to find true happiness, to know true happiness. So we find our way when we're lost by coming to the heart, to our purpose. Uh, the way is in the heart. The way is the heart, you could say. So we remember our sense of purpose and that's how we align ourselves uh, with the way out of suffering. The way out of suffering, we're here because we want a way out of suffering to true happiness. So much uh, that's challenging on this path of the Dharma and the path of life is uncertainty. You know, uncertainty is a great challenge for us. Uh, unpredictability, impermanence, change. Uh, is a challenge. Uh, uncertainty, unpredictability, impermanence, change is the way it is. It's the nature of things in life, from day to day, in meditation, from meditation to meditation, within the constructs of any meditation, there's uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know what's going to happen within any meditation. You know. Uh, I mean, I've got a whole bunch of notes here, but I really don't quite know what I'm going to say. Yeah. So uh, this is the way that it is. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. So our intention, given that this is the way things are, the way things are, is our intention is to meet whatever arises with the heart, with compassion, with love. Regardless of what happens, if we act with the heart, if we act with love, we'll know happiness, regardless of what happens. Regardless of what happens, if we act with love, we'll know happiness. So we learn to stay attuned with our sense of purpose and our resolve to act, to meet life with the heart. Uncertainty often brings fear, or it's, it's, it's consonant with fear. So what we learn to do is replace fear with love. We learn to replace fear with love. My teacher used to use that term, he still does, I guess, that term a lot, replace, replace one quality with another quality. To me, it always seemed, well, that seems a little, uh, arbitrary. You know, 
But that's, that's, that's what we learned to do as Dharma students. We replace the unskillful with the skillful. So that's something we're going to talk about a lot on this retreat, is replacing the unskillful with the skillful. So if there's uncertainty, we learn to replace that. If there's fear, we learn to replace that with love, to meet our experience with the heart, seeing fear and having the intention to move forward with love. You know, everybody here today, at a certain point, you know, confronted uncertainty, and there was some degree of apprehension and fear. You know, it may have been subtle. It may have been subtle. It might not have been terror, but there was some fear and some uncertainty. And that's the way. I mean, that's just going to be a given, given the nature of human experience, which is so unpredictable. How are we going to meet that? Are we going to be able to? Uh, you know, and fear is part of our human DNA. I mean, it's very integral to who we are. So how are we going to meet those experiences that are fearful? You know, can we see fear with space and move forward with love? Our job is in... in Our job is to stay aligned with our intention. So difficulty arises, right? Difficulty arises in, in a day. You know, for everybody today, difficulty arose in some way. That's the nature of life. It's a, it's a constant uh, fluctuation between agreeable and disagreeable experience. There's going to be difficulty every day. That's the nature of being in a human being, and a human body, and in, a, in this realm, there's going to be difficulty in life. There's going to be difficulty on retreat. There's going to be difficulty in meditation. Our job in staying to our sense of purpose is not to eliminate difficulty. You know? You know? I mean, that, that's, that's nihilism, to try to eliminate difficulty. Our job is not to eliminate difficulty, but to meet difficulty with wisdom and awareness to meet difficulty with love and compassion. Happiness comes when we meet difficulty with love. We think happiness comes when we eliminate difficulty. Happiness comes when we meet difficulty with love and compassion and wisdom. So we stay in alignment. We remember the why. We remember why we're here in any given meditation. I need to remind myself within any 45 half-hour meditation. I need to be reminding myself, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm doing this out of love. I'm doing this in the service of knowing true happiness in this life. We have to remember why we're here on this retreat and in this life. Yeah. I've often thought that one of my mantras in life was, why the hell am I here? You know. Sometimes when I was living in Germany, in Berlin, you know, and I'd be struggling, and I, you know, I would just completely lose sense of how, why, what I was doing there, and how I got, and I would just, I would, I would almost say it aloud, you know, I'd be on the tram, it's like, what the hell am I doing here? That was kind of my mantra, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Well, the, the, the path of the Dharma gives us, gives us, uh, a, a, a response to the why. It gives us a sense of purpose. We're here for true happiness. Just that effort to, to, 
to seek true happiness gives meaning to life. And there's happiness in that. Just the effort to know true happiness is inherently conducive to happiness. Gives meaning to life. Gives meaning to life. There's meaning to what we're doing here. There's value. There's a happiness in just making the effort. And we have to align ourselves with that truth because the mind has other ideas and other thoughts. So we're here for true happiness. So we're here out of love. We're here out of love for ourselves and for all beings, for all beings. So we learn in this practice to align with right view. The path starts with right view. And then this right resolve, I'm here to know true happiness. And we keep aligning. We veer off, we lose our way, we realign with our purpose. So that's, there's the why, and then there's the what. There's the what. So a lot of, during this retreat, I'm going to be talking about the what. Uh, what I want to talk about, to some extent tonight, is uh, in, in, in answering the question, what are we doing here? Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the way that uh, we are practicing and what we're doing in our practice being uh, a form of seclusion. So we're following the Buddha's teachings in one of the most important ways that he asked us to follow his teachings by, by practicing seclusion, taking a step back from the world, taking a step back from the world. So we're taking a step back from the things of the world. If it's our jobs, if it's our relationships, we always talk about jobs, relationships, and apartments, right? We're taking a step back from those things, quite purposely and purposefully. We're taking a step back. You know, when the Buddha talks about the world, it actually has, it's a multiple meaning. You know, there's the world, the things of the world, our jobs, our relationships, our apartments, uh, the things of the world. And then he also says the world is the experience of the senses. You know, our world is made up of the experience of the senses. So one of the things that we're doing here is taking seclusion, taking a step back from many of the experiences of the senses. You know, the, you know, the word in Buddhism that we don't like to use is renunciation. You know, but we're taking a step back, we're practicing seclusion from sense experience. I mean, one of the most important ways that we do that is, is taking a step back from the different forms of media, technology, information, entertainment, all the ways that we engage and indulge the senses on a regular basis. We're taking a step back. This is a time for seclusion. It's kind of what I said last night. I mean, the definition of the retreat is it's a form of seclusion, really. You know, we don't put that in the brochures. And, and integral to that is taking a step back from sense experience all these sense pleasures that we indulge in again and again and again and again, day after day after day. So the Buddha said, go to, go to the foot of a tree, go to an empty dwelling, find seclusion, spend time in seclusion. The, the, Buddha, the Buddha's tradition, the Theravada tradition, is a forest tradition. The monks 
went into the forest to practice. They left the towns and the cities and went into the forests. The Thai tradition that we practice in, specifically the tradition of Tanisaro Bhikkhu and Ajahn Lee and Ajahn Man is the Thai forest tradition. You know, in Thailand in the, you know, uh, in, in the late 18th century, uh, 19th century, you know, most of the monks were living in the city and they were performing more, mostly administrative duties. And Ajahn Ma and a few others said, you know, this isn't what the Buddha said. The Buddha said, you have to go into seclusion. You know? So they went into the forest. They broke with their, uh, with their order and went into the forest. They were rebels. They were rebels. This is a rebel practice. We're going into the forest to practice the Dharma. So seclusion uh, allows us to experience conditions that are different than what the conditions are in our daily lives, dare I say, where this is what we're trying to, uh, trying to establish here are different conditions, conditions that are conducive to Dhamma practice, conditions that are conducive to awakening. I was really moved to talk in part about some of these things that I'm going to talk about last night, uh, tonight, uh, after the sitting last night, and actually the first sitting. The first sitting when we came in and the retreat officially began uh, at 7.30, and we sat for, I think, 25 minutes, uh, and I just had such a profound experience that this is different. This is a different experience, meditating in seclusion. It was very, very profound that this is different. This is a different experience. I had a different experience. This is the blessing and the benefit and what seclusion allows us. You know, at home, I, I sit every day. I very rarely miss a day of sitting. You know, and I usually sit 45 minutes, an hour, sometimes longer. I do walking, you know, and when I sit, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm pretty good. I get into, you know, the steps and the full body and the flow of energy, you know, and it's really great, you know. Uh, what I experienced in that first sitting last night was something so different than what I experienced in those sittings each day during the week. You know, when I sit every day back home in Queens, and, you know, and I sit for my 45 minutes or an hour, uh, you know, I sit, but then that bell rings and I'm right back into the world. I'm right back into the world, right? You know, I'm on the computer, I'm doing work, I'm meeting with a student, I'm writing, I'm doing something, I'm engaging in a relationship, I'm engaging in a sense experience, I'm turning on the, the internet, whatever. I'm engaging, I'm back in the world, you know? I'm 45 minutes and then I'm back in the world because that's just the nature of what it's like when we don't practice in seclusion. I'm not practicing in seclusion, I'm practicing in the world. 45 minutes is up, I'm back in the world, you know? So for those 45 minutes or an hour, I'm stepping back from the world, but it's temporary, it's temporary. And the mind knows it's temporary. The mind knows after 45 minutes, you're back on the stick, you know? You're back in the maelstrom, you know, you're back in life. The mind knows that. The mind knows that. 
You know, it's like the, on the last day of the retreat, you've heard me say this, a lot of you have been on retreats. Last day of the retreat is like not a concentration day because the mind knows you're out of here tomorrow. Mind is already halfway, you know, down the taconic, you know, back into the city, right? Because the mind knows that. Central nervous system knows that and is preparing as it should, as it should. I can't afford when I'm at home to like go into a, this kind of state of concentration that I went into last night when I was here. You know, I got to get back into the world. The central nervous system knows that when I'm at home, you've got to go back into the world. Here, the mind knows when I'm sitting. Yeah, after the sitting, I'm going to do some walking. Mind walking? Yeah, after the walking, I'm going to do some sitting. After the sitting, I'm going to do some walking. You know? After Friday, it's like the mind knows, yeah, tomorrow's another day of sitting and walking. <laughs> after Saturday, yeah, tomorrow's another day of sitting and walking. This is seclusion. This is seclusion. So we need this seclusion. The Buddha knew this and understood this to truly step back. To truly step back. I mean, you all know this. You've done retreats. You've all done retreats. You know, this is what's happening. To really truly stay, take a step back from the world, we need seclusion. To really truly get some separation. Separation. The experience that I had in the sitting last night was not an experience so much of jhana, ease and rapture and all that. There was some of that. It was a very profound experience of coming back to myself, of coming back to my body. A very profound experience of, here you are. I missed you. It's been a while since I've been here with you in this body. It's a very profound experience of finding myself again. It's like if you were with a friend and you were at a party in a crowded room pre-COVID, you know, and you lost your friend, a lot of people there, and then all of a sudden you saw your friend. It's, oh, there you are. There you are. Good to see you again. Good to see you. you know? Or it's like you haven't seen a friend or a family member in a long time, and then you get together. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. This profound experience of coming back to myself of being in this body, of being in this body. I was reminded of the Derek Walcott poem that many of you know, we often read at retreats, love after love. The time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you. All your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart, take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes, peel your own image from the mirror, sit, feast on your life. That's kind of like our lives, like when we're in the world. Love letters on the bookshelf, photographs, and desperate notes. You know, peel down your image from the mirror. Sit. So we have this 
possibility of becoming reacquainted with ourselves, of coming back to ourselves. Seclusion is a coming back to ourselves. People think, oh, he's going away. He's going away from life. No, you're going to life. This is a coming to life. This is a coming to life. We've been away from life. We've been away from the life of the body. We reawaken to ourselves and to our body in seclusion. You know, when I first started this practice uh, in 1990, you know, I was at a time in my life when I really felt like I had lost myself. You know, I had a, some sense of uh, being a being, uh, uh, and uh, having lost that, and there was great pain and suffering about that. You know, and the meditation has been a process of remembering, you know, this slow journey of awakening to who I am, you know, to my truth, to this body, to this body. It's about peeling away all these layers to get down to what's real, what get down to what's true, this body, this mind, this heart. This is what's true. All the rest, stuff on the, on the, on the you know, photographs and love letters. You know, there's this body, this mind, this heart. So this practice, the what, is a coming back to ourselves, coming back to this body, coming back to this body. And that's what we're doing in a lot of ways when we practice generosity, right? You know, I mean, you know, well, what are we doing when we're not practicing generosity? Getting, 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 right? We talk about getting and being, getting things, getting notoriety, you know, you know, uh, which is, you know, it's an accumulation, you know, it's adding on all these layers on top of the body, you know, probably in large part because we don't feel like we're good enough with what we have and who we are. You know, so we start stripping away all that stuff. You know, that's why the monks get rid of all their stuff and just wear robes. Maybe next retreat we'll have robes. You know, I mean, we do pretty good here. I mean, it's not like you know people are dressed to the nines, which is good. You know, so it's a giving away, so we can come back to what's what's true: this body, this mind, this heart. You know, the technical practice for doing that is mindfulness of the body. This is why the Buddha has us start with mindfulness of the body. I mean, that's what it is, mindfulness of the body, putting the mind on the body. Ultimately, and it's a process, right? It's a process, and a lot of the what over the next days is about mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of the things that take us away from the body. But it all comes down to mindfulness of body, body, this body, this body, just this body, the way that this body is. There's nothing better than this. This is, this is what we got, and it's good. It's good. It's good, this body. This is, when we, when we have this body, when we know this body, when we're in this body, when we make this reacquaintance with this body, we're awakening. This is awakenedness. This is what it means to be awake. You think it's something that you don't have already? It's all right here. It's this body. 
It's in this body and this heart. The mind we use as uh, a tool to help us, or, to, or the mind is really the tool that we use to orchestrate our lives. Now, because most people's minds aren't trained, they do a really shitty job of that. We get some training, I'm like, I'm gonna use the mind to be a good mathematician or a good doctor, you know, but not so much in terms of how to be a good human being and how to be happy in life. So that's what we're learning to do. We take, we take that job here in Powell House, in Old Chatham, two and a half hours north of the Big Apple, you know, where they're using the mind to make millions We're coming back to this body. The practice is mindfulness of the body. It's all about coming back to what's right here, to what is. Stripping away everything else. This is what is. It's all right here. It's awakening to that. Everything we have is right here, everything that we need. This body, this body. Also thought of the T.S. Eliot poem. This is sort of like the greatest hits of mindfulness poems. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. That's what the practice is about. We're not trying to get something you don't have. The end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. To know this body to know this body, this heart. I mean, the heart is in the body. We know the body. We can know the body. We can know the heart. Through the unknown remembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall, and the children in the apple tree, not known because not looked for. Not known because not looked for. That was, you know, when I sat down, it was like, yeah. I mean, I've been looking in the meditation, but I needed the seclusion to say, oh, yeah, welcome. Good to see you again, old friend. Not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard, in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick now, here, now, always, a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. A condition of complete simplicity, this body this heart. Yesterday was my sister's birthday. I was able to touch base with her before I came up here. Uh, my sister's uh, eight years younger than me. Uh, so, I, you know, I very distinctly remember when she was born, the day she was born, and when my mom took her home from the hospital little baby. I was eight years old, so I had a really, you know, maybe others of you with siblings or those of you with children obviously had this experience, you know, uh, of just, just this body, just this body, you know, and, and I knew her and know her today as just this body, just this body, you know. It's my sister, you know, it's a human being, it's a body and a heart. Parents gave her a name. This is where it starts. The trouble starts, right? You know? Now she gets an identity. 
Her name was Gail. I remember I raised my hand in my second grade class, Miss Martinoni. You know, I have a baby sister. She, I said, she said, what's her name? I said, Gail. She goes, how is it spelled? I said, I don't know. Is it G-A-I-L or G-A-L? I said, I don't know. You know, it's like now you start taking identity. It's like, you know, my sister is like a really great person and I love her and, and she's been really successful. And some of you have actually met my sister because she did one of our retreats uh, uh, a few years ago and she's done meditation classes. It's like, to me, my sister is just, is this body. I mean, I knew her, I guess I knew she had the name at that point by the time she got home from the hospital. But, you know, all the other stuff, that's all, that's all excess. It's like, you know, this is why there's such love for our, for our siblings, you know? It's because we know them just for who they are. Just for who they are. Just for their truth as a body, as a mind, and a heart. So this practice of seclusion, in practicing meditation, we come back to ourselves, to this body. To this body. We make an effort to keep the mind on the body. We use directed thought to keep the mind on the body and evaluation, cultivating the qualities of jhana, the Buddha found we need to do that in order to keep the mind on the body. So the mind will want to stay on the body. Now, of course, thoughts of the household life will arise when we're on retreat, right? Even when we're on seclusion, thoughts of the household life will arise, or thoughts about different sense pleasures may arise. So, we you know there's a lot of things that we have to do in terms of dealing with what arises that gets us in the way of this truth of this body and this heart. Right? That's a lot of what the Buddha came to understand was that you know we're so we're at such a distance from this body and this heart. You know? So this is our training. The seclusion is a huge part of it. And this training is about just getting down to this condition of complete simplicity this body, and this heart. So you may have these thoughts of the household life, of the jobs and the relationships and the sense experience. So what are we doing in the meditation? All right, there's the thought, come back to the breath. There's the thought, come back to the breath. And then we start to bring some insight to the thoughts. Is it useful? Is this serving me to be thinking about this aspect of my household or life? Is it serving me? Is it in my best interests? Is it in alignment with my wish to know true happiness? Is this taking me away from the body and the heart? I mean, that's really the question. You know, the question, is it useful? You know, you have to find your own words. Some people don't like that question, but it really what it means is, is this thinking about the household life, about jobs, relationships, and apartments, about, you know, baseball, is this taking me away from the body and from the heart? Is it taking me away from being awakened, from the awakened state, from awakenedness? That's what that question, and all, all the questions, you know, I remember Tanis Arabiku saying this to me once. It's like, all, all insight comes down to that question. <laughs> it all comes down to that question. Is it useful, or is it skillful? Is it in the service of true happiness, or is it taking me away from true happiness? It all comes down to that question. We're just asking it in different ways. Is it taking me away from this truth? 
So on retreat and in seclusion in particular, we come to the body, right? In meditation, in retreat, in seclusion, we come to know the body. We develop this sensitivity to the body. Now, I remember so distinctly the first retreat, long retreat I did at IMS many, many years ago now. And it was kind of similar, in a, it was actually even more intense than just the experience that I had last night, where, you know, it's like, I, you know, I sat on this retreat and it's like, oh my God, I got this body. You know, and I would feel parts of my body and I was like, oh my God, there's knees and there's an ankle on this side of, oh, and, and, and there's these, and, 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 I, and I could feel my thighs. It was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. I never, I never, I mean, I was so out of touch with this. And I was just like stunned by the experience of the body, the sensitivity that I had to the body, the awareness that I had of the body that I had never had before or that I had lost you know, since I was a child. And the mind steered me in other directions, away from the body and away from the heart. You know, and it was just this profound experience of body. And it was astonishing. Every sitting, it was something kind of different. Sometimes what happens to people once they start, particularly this happens a lot on retreat, or I don't want to plant any seeds. Most of you know what I'm kind of talking about. People have, you know, they, they, they start developing this sensitivity to the body. And they may start noticing things in the body that they never noticed before. You know, it's like, oh my God, my middle toe on my right foot twitches. I never noticed that before. Oh, they, you know, it's, it sort of rubs against the, you know, the, 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 the second toe over and it kind of twitches. And it's like, what's going on there? You know, and it's like, it keeps twitching, you know, and it's like the whole meditation, you're like focused on that twitching toe. You know, and it's like, so you can, the whole retreat, it's like, how was your retreat? I just kept focusing on my toe. It was twitching the whole retreat, right? You know? My teacher, Michelle McDonald, I've heard her respond to yogis who gave, told stories like this. You know, and, and she just was so beautiful. And I learned so much from her when she would, you know, and a yogi would say, you know, it's my toe. I just, I, I, it just keeps twitching, and I just the whole meditation, I just keep paying attention to. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The twitching toe, and she would go, "This is fantastic." She go, "This is so good. You're becoming aware of your body. You're developing sensitivity to your." She goes, "This is wonderful. This is great." You know, the yogi is like, "This, but the my." And she's right. I mean, she's exactly right. I mean, it was she just hit the nail right on the head. It's like, yeah, you're noticing your toe for the first time. That's great. Now you got to learn to relate to it in a more skillful way. It's really not the toe isn't the problem. It's the mind, right? But at least you're starting to get sensitive to your human experience. Now you can deal with all of the things that you've been doing in your mind that have been causing you so much suffering that have caused you to want to get as far away from your human experience of the body as you possibly can. That's the next step. But you've gotten to your human experience. Now we can start dealing with this other stuff. But you made it here. You made it up to IMS or Powell House. You know? You're reacquainting yourself with what you are and who you are in this body. lose the body, you know, I told that little story of my sister, you know, there's the body and then you add on a name, right? 
So now there's something, you know, we all have these names. They're just made up. They're just conventions, you know? They're just conventions. But we start attaching to the name and the different forms of identity, man, woman, straight, gay, uh, white, black, doctor, lawyer, teacher, cook, yoga teacher, whatever, right? All the different forms of identity, Buddhist, all the conventions, all the conventions that get in the way of what our experience is. No, all those things have use, and you know we have to learn to understand them. You know, but they're all things that you know they're not. They're just conventions. They're ideas, right? You know, you know they have their utility in the world. The problem is we don't know how to relate to them in a skillful way. So they get, they're like this veil, you know, there's this veil of identity and we lose the body behind it. We all know the story of the Buddha after he became awakened. They said, you know, are you a god? You know, are you a deva? You know, are you a great spiritual master? He said, no, I'm awake. I'm a body and a heart. That's all. I'm I'm a body and a heart. That's what I am. where we, we come to this body. This is what it means to be awake and to be alive. So in seclusion, we're leaving all that stuff back in the city, proverbially speaking, or back home. All the conventions, right? We're going to leave all those conventions back home, all those ideas, all those roles we're leaving back home. There's just body, there's just awakenedness, there's body, mind, heart. We have this body, we use the mind to keep a center in the body, to keep us close to the heart, so we can live from the heart. That's the practice, that's the path. So on the retreat, in seclusion, we're putting aside the world, we're putting aside our sense experiences. We're putting aside our roles and identity, parent, child, doctor, lawyer, teacher, American, whatever, whatever. We're not here to play out our roles. We're here to be beings in bodies with hearts. We're not here to make money. We're not here seeking status. We're not writing our memoir. We're not trying to fix anything. We're not trying to fix anything. We're just trying to learn to be what we are, this body, this mind, this heart, to awaken to that, to awaken to that. You know, when I, and this may have been somewhat evident when I told the story about last night's sitting and, 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 and coming back to myself and coming back to this body and just this experience of, there you are, there you are, coming back to this body. And there was this sense of love for myself. There was the sense of love, this quality of love. I missed you. you know, I felt this love for myself, for this body. It's also compassion for all the pain and suffering that this body 
and mind and heart have been through. It's like I haven't seen my sister in three years. And part of that time I was away in Germany, then there was the pandemic. I hope to see her after the retreat, celebrate her birthday. sure there'll be that experience just very similar to what I had when I reacquainted myself with myself last night in that sitting and that love, you know, it'll be the same when I see her. You know, that love that I've, that I have for her and that I'll experience and that I'll uh, act from in being with her uh, as I have since that day when my mother brought her home from the hospital many years ago. So in the meditation, we're not trying to, in, in seclusion, we're not trying to attain some kind of altered state. We're not trying to attain some kind of extraordinary state. Jhana is a way to get us into the body and to maintain mindfulness of body. We cultivate these qualities of jhana. This is why the Buddha said develop these qualities. You know, we want to develop nice jhana and strong jhana because we want to develop an abiding in the body that's consistent and maintainable. But ultimately, the jhana is a way to get us into the body and to maintain awareness of the body. Too much jhana is actually a hindrance to concentration. You know, Ajahn Buddhadasa used to say that. Too much jhana, too much concentration is a hindrance to mindfulness of the body. You, know, you, lose, you lose that connection with the body if there's too much energy and too much absorption. You know, the quality of jhana that ultimately, you know, and it's a process, that's for sure, that we're trying to develop is very soft. It's very soft, gentle, like that gentle rain that just keeps us right there so that we can have that mindfulness of the body. Too much energy, too much flow, really kind of takes us out of the body. Buddha Dasa said, don't do anything that would take you out of the body. Don't do anything that would take you out of the body. So you know, we like to say the, mind, the meditation mindfulness of the body is, uh, is an in-the-body experience. So that in the practice, we're not trying to cultivate any exceptional states just to come home to this body. I mean, that's the most exceptional thing that there is. That isn't the exceptional state. We just have the wrong idea, maybe, about what an exceptional state is. So the practice is to come home to this body. It's like they say in Zen, nothing special. Nothing special. Just this body, just these 13 bodies here, 13 minds and hearts. When we bring it down to that level, it's just love, you know? What else is there? 13 bodies sitting here, 13 minds, keeping our attention in the present, and the heart. Everything else gets in the way of that. Everything else gets in the way of that. When it's just that, there's just love. There's just love. This body, this mind, this heart. This is the what. This is the what. I mean, a lot on this retreat is going to be about what goes into the what. The journey to the body to get to that place where it's just these 13 bodies, 13 minds, and 13 hearts, you know, I mean, that's a journey. 
you know, that journey back to ourselves, the end of all our exploring will be to arrive you know, where we began and know the place for the first time. Right? It is a journey. Concentration is important. The jhana is important. Working with Mara. Mara is going to do everything he possibly can do uh, to get in the way. There's going to be a lot that's going to get in the way. Just like any great journey. Great, any great journey is defined by its obstacles. The journey home. We meet many obstacles to get to this body, this mind, this heart. But it's good to know what the what is, right? So we start on the first night of the retreat, you know, with 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 the what, with the, the purpose, and the what, the why and the what. We're here for true happiness, seclusion, coming home to the body, the mind, and the heart is the what. This is the path to true happiness. Then there's just the mind, the body, and the heart, and love, compassion joy, and just making this effort for true happiness, making this effort for true happiness is love. This effort that we're making is love. So let's just close our eyes just for a second.